0: Welcome to r slash nuclear revenge where a homeowner literally murders someone to get his revenge. I'm an athletic gay guy and always have been. I was also born and raised in Texas so you can imagine some of the goings on in my younger years when being homosexual was less accepted. This was a little over 10 years ago. Freshman year I'm on the basketball team. I'm not good, not great, just average. The team also takes up a class period, and some days we have to study instead of practice. One of the kids on my team, M, would constantly give me flack for being gay, calling me the F-word, a queer, and all of the usual slurs. I, always being a pretty amiable guy and extremely slow to action, accepted his insults with open arms. Although I wasn't the star player among people who knew me, I made sure my nickname was The F-Word. I'd answer yes to every, does butt taste good? Or, do you have a body count? I never let it show, but this constant disrespect towards me and other people, including teachers, really got to me. He would harass my friends, pick on the boys, catcall, and make lewd comments to the girls. He was the kind of kid who'd do a fake, yes sir, to a teacher who was getting on to him about something. That's when a little birdie told me his dad died three years ago and his mom was an alcoholic. Despite the fact that I now had this knowledge, I held on to it until I had my chance. Im liked to shove people around, but he never did me because I was pretty popular and matched him physically. Like I said, that didn't stop him from picking on people close to me. I started preparing for the fight I knew would come. Working bags, learning footing, all the good stuff. After three months of preparation, I felt ready. He came upon me in the bathroom, talked some smack, I don't remember. There were a few of his buddies. Perfect. Remember how I said his dad died? I said, okay, daddy issues. Can I call you that? Is not having one really considered a daddy issue? By the way, why are you so fixated on gay sex? Why do you ask so many questions? Do you want to try it? Or was the last thing your dad did to teach you how to suck blank? Admittedly, not the best as I type it out, but mean enough. This got him enraged. All the better. He charged at me through the narrow part of the bathroom. My back was to the wall and he was moving too fast. I got out of the way and he harmlessly flung himself against the wall. Harmlessly for him and me. Well, not for long. He had to shift his weight. I, to his side, had already done so. It was a one-punch knockout to the side of the jaw. This kid had never been in a real fight before. It only took me raising a middle finger at the three friends he brought with him to make them reconsider their dedication to the mission at hand. Next, I kicked him in the face while he was down four times. My shoes were smeared with blood. I kicked him in the balls a fair few times after that, spat onto the back of his head, and walked away. I never talked to him again. I never cared how he was doing today, but I'd seen his face and it certainly wasn't the one he'd been born with. Naturally, word of the fight spread around. I got in some big trouble. Suspension. But the motto, don't mess with the F word, spread around real quick. As far as I know, nobody ever did. Oh man, you kicked an unconscious dude in the face? That's brutal OP, but I guess this is nuclear revenge. Our next reddit post is from PDAS. So I like to drink with my old man. He has three daughters and one son. He told his story to me and my little sister. She's only one year younger than me. My oldest sister lived with her mom and stepfather at the time it happened. One day, when she was 12, she called my dad in tears and told him about how she was molested by her stepdad. She just wanted to tell someone who would believe her because her mother at the time didn't. My dad was about to get his stuff to beat her stepdad's butt, but my sister told him that she didn't want him to do anything since she didn't want him in jail so my dad quickly contacted some old friends in gangs and told them everything. He was furious. My oldest sister's stepdad was beaten so bad he barely recovered. Her stepdad and mom separated not long after. My dad made sure to call his work and tell them everything, got him fired. My dad made sure to know everything about this man so he could ruin his life as much as possible. When the stepfather got to a new city and my dad got word of it, he made sure he got another extra beating or two. This went on for years on end. My dad was told a few years ago that the abuser sits in a wheelchair now and he can barely do anything by himself. My dad's still not satisfied. If it were up to him, he would be dead. No one hurts his children. Man, the subreddit makes me feel weird because here I am getting excited and smiling about a story where someone gets beaten within an inch of their life. Our next reddit post is from dark1859. Backstory. This part of the story takes place shortly before 2000. In my state, we have numerous retiree communities that are run by HOAs. The vast majority of them, in my experience as a respite and habilitation provider, can be summarized simply as near to full-on tyrannical in their intercommunity politics, often targeting members out of their clique while heavily favoring those who fell in line. In this case, it all started with Richard and the new HOA board. From what details I can remember, Richard had lived in his house in the community under the prior HOA board and had lived in his house for close to 10 years. Prior, a community mailbox was installed near his driveway and had the borders of his house lined with row hedges. These two details will be important later. However, around early 2000, a new HOA governing board was elected. By this time, many others had moved into the area and had begun parking in front of the aforementioned mailbox, a number of which to my memory were board members. Richard had, at first, tried talking to the offending mailbox blockers that would block his driveway. Eventually, however, he would resort to simply parking his car in front of the driveway and, by extension, the mailboxes. In retaliation, the board would tow his car and invoice Richard for it. In addition to this, Richard was not the type to constantly preen and prune his hedges around his house or keep the lawn well kept. The HOA as a result began to send landscapers to trim them for him and would naturally invoice him every time they did for the bill. Richard, both verbally and in writing, in rather rude terms requested they not send them and denied the landscapers access to his house, but he was still invoiced for their being contract and sent away. Eventually, as I remember, the board would send the landscapers to his home when he was away or not home and then invoice him the costs after. Finally having enough, to my memory, Richard ended up killing off his lawn and hedges to force the board to stop sending landscapers. But due to laws in my state and the board's bylaws itself, they were able to sue for the cost of the invoices sent out over the course of nearly a year or so, and managed to foreclose on Richard's house for unpaid fees, where he was forced to move out and chose to move to California for a time. The revenge. With the events leading up to the nuclear revenge set in place, now we can discuss Richard's revenge. Richard, to my memory, had been practically living out of a trailer for a little while, stewing over his treatment at the hands of the former board. Richard had still owned a storage unit in Arizona, which contained his rifle and two semi-automatic handguns. That April, he returned to Arizona with one goal in mind, revenge. Richard's former HOA held official meetings bi yearly, with other smaller meetings for emergencies or when voted to convene. Richard entered the board's meeting with his weapons firing and killing two board members outright, wounding one more and wounding another during a scuffle with another man trying to wrestle his rifle away from him. When later questioned why he committed the crime, his only response was, I was getting even. Later, Richard was sentenced to death for the murders, passing of natural causes while still on death row. In the end, as I recall, the HOA was disbanded for some time following the wake of the murders. They have at this point re-established, but from what I recall, they've been quite careful who they elect to the board. So OP posts some links to some news articles, and sure enough, it's completely legit. It turns out he shot one lady in the back and another in the head. Normally I like to crack jokes and even glorify the people in these stories, but not this time. I'll definitely agree that the board kind of screwed this guy over, but my god, this is a completely disproportionate response. This isn't revenge. This is straight up premeditated murder. Our next Reddit post is from Atlas Black. This is a long one, but if you stick with it until the end, you'll learn how I was framed and fired from my job and accidentally set off a chain reaction that led to a staff overhaul with several managers being fired and moved to other restaurants, the general manager being fired and getting a divorce, and one of the managers being investigated by the FBI and ultimately arrested, as well as several of the workers being deported. I used to work at an upscale restaurant owned by a large corporate entity that owns several different restaurant brands. I worked there for about three and a half years before they eventually fired me, but more about that later. First, I want to give you an idea of my role there. My role at that job was a little of everything. Since the day I started working there, I took it upon myself to learn as much as possible. I was very persistent with management when I wanted to learn a new department. I'd started as a server, but eventually had worked my way into different departments and job titles like carryout, hosting, bartending, barbacking, banquets, catering, and deliveries. My singular goal while working there was to make myself available for as many hours as possible. I was being paid about 12 bucks an hour, though that fluctuated if I was working as a bartender or server and making tips. Eventually, it was noticed by management how I fit best into one of the non-tipped positions. I was so good at it that they decided to try me out as an unofficial supervisor over the team that worked in out catering, and deliveries as those were all one department. I knew this was going to ultimately mean a few less hours since I would only be working one department, so I negotiated with management to increase my pay by about a buck fifty. Since I was taking on additional responsibilities, they were satisfied with the pay increase. I was trying to get as much money as possible. I just wanted to be able to pay my bills and still have a little money left over for fun. I was living in the highly taxed city of Chicago, which is in the already highly taxed state of Illinois, so it was pretty difficult to make ends meet and still have money left to enjoy my life. I'm a person of simple pleasures and I can enjoy things for long periods of time, so it didn't take much money to be happy. A video game could hold my attention for several months, sometimes even years. I had a family pet that I brought with me to Chicago, so that counted as an extra expense. Not long after I started this position as the unofficial supervisor, I got a girlfriend, so I was also going out more often and spending money on her. With my position and some smart budgeting, I was able to afford all of this. The money wasn't an issue, but management had a high turnover rate, so the incoming managers often didn't know what the department entailed or how important hours were to workers of these departments. Eventually, it was noted that our current general manager was going to be fired and replaced. The incoming general manager was supposed to be some rock star when it came to improving restaurants. We looked up his name and found him as the first search result on Google, but the entry wasn't some glowing review of his work ethic or of his impeccable ability to improve the way a restaurant runs. It was actually a mugshot in a police report filed for repeated domestic abuse. This is important later. We'll call him Harvey. Shortly after Harvey came in and started making changes, one of our best managers gave a resignation. She refused to work with him, and like an effing oracle, told us to expect lots of sexual harassment, misogynistic comments, and for him to eventually run this place into the ground. Not long after she left, our general manager began replacing our current managers with hand-picked people that he had worked with in the past. Eventually, all but one manager was replaced. That manager was the kitchen manager. We'll call him Frito. Frito had been there since I started working there. He seemed to be somewhat of a chameleon. As in, his values and ethics seemed to change depending on who his boss was. Honestly, I sort of applaud his survival instincts, but ultimately see him as a suck-up and traitor. Harvey never really replaced the manager for our department, so we ran without a lot of oversight. Unless you count me as a supervisor, we didn't constantly have someone breathing down our necks about how things should be done. Our department had some hiccups here and there, but it still ran really smoothly. Since we didn't have our own manager, we often had to radio for a manager to come help us out on things that needed a manager card for approval. Frito would always be the one to answer these calls since the kitchen was closest to our department. Over time, the new team of managers started to see Frito as the manager of our department as well. However, the hourly team that worked there still saw me as their supervisor. This meant that anytime Frito was trying to make changes that would ultimately hurt us, the team relied on me to mitigate those disasters or to negotiate with Frito to let us do our jobs the way we had already proved worked really well. Over several months, Frito and I would butt heads dozens of times. He and I were constantly arguing about how important hours were to the workers in this department. He had it in his head that we should be living off tips like servers, but since most of our orders were carry-out, they came in through Grubhub, and Grubhub doesn't tip. We didn't have a lot of deliveries in a day, and the tips we got from those were maybe $10 if we were lucky, but splitting 10 bucks four ways doesn't add up to a lot. It just showed that Frito had no clue what he was talking about. Eventually, we had a meeting with Harvey, Frito, and all the workers of this department. It was marketed as a chance to voice all of our grievances and concerns with the changes they wanted to make with no chance of retaliation. So the workers did exactly that. They talked about how Frida was trying to cut hours even though he isn't our actual manager. When it was brought up that they were attempting to hire someone to be the manager, the team suggested that I take over since I'd already been supervising them and running things smoothly for the past several months. I was also the one that management consulted with when writing schedules, as I had an understanding of the days some workers could and couldn't work depending on their school schedules or family life. I could see at the moment it was suggested that Harvey and Frito made the decision on the spot that I had to be gotten rid of. Although they didn't say it, I could see the look they gave each other and instinctively knew that my days at this place were numbered, and my job was going to be getting the axe one way or another. They made a bunch of promises to us about not cutting hours. They told us that they would stop sending all but one person home early and only leaving one person to clean everything and close up by themselves, as this wasn't a small department and it was simply too much for one person to do alone while still meeting health and safety standards they promised that whatever hours we scheduled for, we would work. We weren't trying to be unreasonable, so we told them that we usually have three or four people scheduled to work our department. They could cut two of them early, but we always needed at least two people here to help close properly. The promise was made that we would always have at least two closers. However, only about a week later, they started sending all but one person home early again every night. One night, they tried to do it while I was scheduled as the closer, and we had just returned from a massive catering event, and there was an unbelievable amount of cleanup left to do for one person. When Frito came in and tried to send everyone except me home, I stepped up and told him that he was consistently breaking the promise he had made to us during the meeting. He looked me square in the face and told me to stop complaining about it, and if I was going to keep trying to talk to him about him breaking his promises, he could easily find someone who could work my shifts. I quickly realized that this was an assassination attempt on my job. He wanted me to press it further, so I backed off and started cleaning. I ended up having to stay way late, and that meant overtime pay anyway. I got a write-up for that, since we weren't allowed to work overtime without a manager's approval. When I refused to sign the write-up, pointing out that I had tried to explain to Frito that I wouldn't be able to clean up all that stuff alone before my scheduled shift ended, I was allowed to leave without signing the write-up, but only because the HR rep that was present at the time wasn't one of Harvey's cronies. Skip ahead to the day I was fired. It's important to note at this point that I always came into work an hour early. Since we lived in Chicago, food was expensive. However, at our job, we were allowed to have as much free soup and bread as we like. So I would come into work one hour early every day so I could have some soup and bread for lunch before my shift. But on this day, when I walked into the kitchen to get myself some soup, one of the line cooks told me that he had a dish that had been cancelled after he cooked it, and Frito had told me to give it to someone. He assured me that Frito had comped it and that it was free to take for whoever wanted it. It just so happened to be my favorite appetizer, so I happily took the free food. Not long after I got to my booth, Both Harvey and Frito approached me and asked me if I had put in a ticket for that food. I told them that the line cook had given it to me and said it was the cancelled order that Frito had already comped. Frito looked dumbfounded and said he had no idea what I was talking about. So Harvey told me, I think you know that's theft. Go ahead and finish the food and then grab your stuff and go. That's the last meal you'll be having here. I tried to explain to them that I had been given this food by the line cook, but they refused to listen. So I offered to take them to the kitchen to clear it up with the cook. But by the time I'd gone back to the kitchen with them to talk to the line cook, he had already gone home for the day. I had no choice but to gather my stuff, say my goodbyes, and head home. On my way out, I told the people working my department that afternoon what had happened. Exactly as it happened. They were shocked and angry, but mostly sad to see me go. I decided that on my way out, I would stop by the accounting office and pick up any tips that may have been dropped for me that week, just to make sure I didn't get screwed out of that money. Before hitting down, I had this gut feeling to just set my phone to record, and I stuffed it into my pocket with the camera rolling. Although the video was entirely black since it was in my pocket, I did manage to get a pretty muffled recording of Harvey and Frito's voices through the door, discussing how things had gone as planned and that they had been trying to get rid of me ever since that meeting with my department. I knocked on the door and they hushed up before opening it. They asked what I was still doing there and I asked for my tips. They gathered what was in the safe for me and handed it over. Despite my anger rising at what I had just heard, I decided not to burn this bridge just yet, because perhaps I could effing nuke it later. I offered a handshake to both managers, thanked them for the opportunity to work there, and left, making sure to pull my phone out of my pocket and record the front of the restaurant with the sign showing its name and logo. Working in a restaurant, you learn to always cover your own butt. It's true for most jobs, but something was just telling me I would need this all later. If I was being accused of theft, I wanted to be able to prove it wasn't true if it ever came up in future job interviews, which is exactly what happened and where this all started going nuclear. On the train ride home, I sent some messages and made some posts on some local Facebook groups saying that I had just been fired and that I was looking for a job as quickly as possible. By the time I got off at my stop, I had already set up an interview for later that day. I was offered the job about five minutes into the interview, but after going over the details, it didn't sound like it was for me, so I turned it down. I interviewed a few other places and found one that was a good fit, with a hefty pay increase compared to my previous job, and I wouldn't have to deal with customers. It was an auditing job for a logistics company. However, during the interview with the manager of this job, he mentioned he had already called my previous place of employment and spoken with the general manager, Harvey. Harvey had told him that I had been fired for theft. Luckily for me, the manager I was interviewing with asked me to tell him more about that, and he was willing to let me pull out my phone and find the recording. I asked if the voice in the video was the same person he would spoke with on the phone. It was. That was confirmation enough for him that I hadn't made a fake video. He listened to the two managers in the video admit that they had set me up and watched to the end when I showed the front of the restaurant, complete with the logo and name. The manager interviewing me, who we'll call Dean, hired me immediately and asked me to send him the recording. I did. I thought that was the end of it. About seven months later, after settling into this job quite nicely, HR sent out a welcome all of our new team members email, which listed all of our newest hires, some facts about them, and had pictures of them all. They sent these out every time they hired a new round of people. One of them, Thomas, was a former coworker who had worked with me at the restaurant. We'd worked at the host stand together, so I was pretty glad to see someone I knew and liked coming onto the team. I sought out his desk and went to say hello and asked why he left the restaurant. He hadn't left willingly. He'd been laid off because the company was under investigation. It had started as a relatively small matter. The corporate entity that owned the restaurant chain had received an email with an attached video. My video that had been filmed from inside my pocket. That was cause enough for corporate to send someone to investigate internally. Thomas was pretty surprised that I hadn't heard anything about it since there had been numerous attempts to get in touch with me. As soon as he said that, I logged into the old email I'd used when I first applied for the job at the restaurant. I had two dozen emails asking me to come in to discuss my employment and termination. I never replied. I just didn't care enough anymore. I'd also changed my number since then, so they hadn't been able to contact me by phone. Thomas continued explaining that before corporate had sent someone, Harvey and Fredo had talked with my department and tried to offer them a small pay increase to spend corporate a story about how I was incompetent at my job and failed to live up to my duties. The day the corporate auditor showed up, there had been a small exodus of people from my old department. They quit on the spot in front of the lady from corporate, let's call her Audrey, and made sure to rat out Harvey and Fredo before leaving. Strike one for both of them. Strike two came a couple of days after Audrey showed Harvey and Frida the recording that had kicked all this off. They denied it vehemently, but there was no mistaking Harvey's voice. It's unique. Not only that, but the video also picked up their voice and mine when we shook hands and had a friendly parting of the ways, which was something they'd already bragged about to Audrey, thinking it made them look better that we were able to part on good terms. This wasn't the actual strike two. That came when it was clear they needed to be separated, so Audrey sent Frito to work in another restaurant owned by our company and temporarily demoted Harvey to manager. This tore them apart. They had once been an inseparable evil team, but the pressure of the investigation must have pushed them over the edge. They ended up at each other's throats, on Facebook, on a public post on the company page. The post had since been deleted, but Thomas explained it as the following. Frido had been pictured in the Facebook post on the restaurant page and Harvey made a passive aggressive comment about how Frito shouldn't even be in the picture since he had moved to another restaurant due to misconduct. Fredo saw this comment and said something along the lines of at least when people google my name I don't show up as the guy that punched his wife. To which Harvey responded very funny from the guy who's cheating on his wife with Janet's sister. Janet's not a real name, but Janet was the girl they appointed to officially supervise my old department after they fired me, the unofficial supervisor. Frito replies to that by saying, like you haven't tried with half the waitresses, they all have stories about you trying to passionately hug them. The post was deleted, but not before it had been seen by Audrey the auditor. That was officially strike two. Strike three came the next day when Audrey started interviewing the female waitstaff and bartenders, seeing if any of them could confirm that Harvey had tried to make a move on them. All of them were interviewed separately, several of them had similar stories. Every girl that confirmed Harvey had made a move on them all said he had offered to be their sugar daddy, if they would send nudes or stay after closing to fool around with him. Harvey was fired, but that isn't the worst of it. Audrey the Auditor wasn't just some random woman from corporate. She was the old regional manager for this area and had personally hired Harvey's wife as the general manager of another restaurant in the city. So she called up the restaurant Harvey's wife worked at and told Harvey's wife everything she'd learned from the female waitstaff. We learned later that they had gotten a divorce over him trying to cheat on her after she'd already given him a second chance to change after he beat her. I don't know what compelled her to give him a second chance after something like that, but she sure didn't give him a third. After firing Harvey, the line cook who had given me the food was interviewed by Audrey. I don't know how it came up, but at some point, he had let it slip that he was an illegal immigrant. She had his file in her hand with an Illinois ID and social security number on file, so this confused her and she pressed him for more information. It turns out that Frito had some connections, and had his own miniature black market going on where he would have fake Social Security cards and IDs made for the illegal immigrants he was hiring at reduced wages. It had been going on for at least four years. Needless to say, this is a felony. With the potential PR nightmare that Audrey was likely dealing with, she felt she had no choice but to alert the authorities. Local PD enlisted the help of the FBI since some of the evidence led them beyond the jurisdiction of the local police. Frito was arrested and quickly gave up the names of the people working that he had sold social security cards and IDs to. I'm not sure if he gave up all of them, but he did name drop about 14 people and of those 14, at least half were deported by the time Thomas had been let go. One of them was the line cook that had given me the food the day I was fired. Thomas went on to explain that it had all started with me being fired, but I never sent that recording to corporate. I'd only sent it to Dean when he hired me. I asked him about it, and he told me that he had sent it to his wife, since she was a lawyer. He wanted to see if I had a case to maybe sue my old job, since what they had done was wrong. But he also remembered that when we had first talked about it, I'd said that I'm not the type of person who would try to make millions off an entire company because of the mistakes of two buttholes." But I had also said that it would be pretty sweet to see them lose their jobs too. So his wife had been the one that sent the video to the legal team at the corporate headquarters of my old restaurant job. My boss and his wife were both just trying to get two scumbags fired for what they did to me. But ended up pulling a thread so long that it didn't end until there were sexual harassment accusations, revelations about managers cheating on their wives with girls related to people they had placed in positions of authority, a divorce, mass layoffs pending investigations, a staff overhaul, an FBI investigation into what could be considered black market dealings of falsified government issued documents and at least a half dozen deportations, and probably as many as 14. I don't know if this counts as nuclear revenge, as I didn't actively pursue it, but Thomas ended up showing me that even if it wasn't revenge, it was definitely nuclear, and the crater it had left was massive. Yeah, nuclear revenge doesn't exactly apply. I think it's better to call this something like nuclear karma. That was r slash nuclear revenge and if you like this video then hit that subscribe button because I put out new reddit videos every single day.